0: Our reading today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen, and who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water And cool my tongue, because I am suffering in the flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted, and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevasse has been fixed between us and you. Those who, who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross over from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, They will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Here ends the reading. Growing up in San Antonio, I would often be flipping through the the uh, TV channels on Sunday mornings, and since I, I was raised in a non-religious home and, and didn't attend church on Sundays. in flipping through the channels, I would come across, invariably, uh, the Reverend Hagee giving a, uh, giving a sermon from his church in San Antonio. Uh, the name of which escapes me at the moment. But um, you can look it up, Peggy Ministries. and um, You'll find it, no problem. <laughs> the big mega church in San Antonio. And I remember he had this fine suit, and he's standing in a, at a podium, and there were thousands of people around listening to him. And it was an interesting dichotomy to see between this man and the The ministers and preachers that I knew in my life through the Boy Scouts or through friends who lived very, um, very basic kind of existences. You know, um, people tell you, you know, ministry, you don't get into ministry for the money. <laughs> you get into ministry because you, you can't not be in ministry. But yet there are some in ministry who do make lots of money doing it. And uh, Hagee was an example of that. And and certainly, there are there are many others, um, and you know, uh, there are many names that you could you could point to uh, of, of ministers who have made a very good living. Ministers who have private jets and fancy cars and large mansions, and in fact, there's a whole uh, a whole theology that has arisen around. God's grace and money, this this theology of wealth, the prosperity gospel, it's called. And there's lots of, of preachers, especially on television, asking people to send them money because if you send them money, then that will gain you favor or gain you you into, into God's good graces, and then you will in turn become prosperous. Things you know, are not much different than they were in Jesus' day. This reading we had today, this reading um, about Lazarus and the rich man, or the rich man and Lazarus is taken from the, the book of Luke. Of course, we are in the middle of Luke as, as part of our uh, narrative um, uh, lectionary readings. We're moving through Luke towards Easter. And this story happens in the middle of a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And actually, I'm a little frustrated because the the part that I read you today, which is the parable of Lazarus and the rich man itself has context before it, and that context is missing uh, from uh, the from this narrative lectionary reading. And although the context isn't uh, necessarily uh, required to understand the reading, it sure helps a lot. So let me go back a, just a few verses here and read to you the context before this. <laughs> Starting at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were money lovers, heard all this and sneered at Jesus. Uh, actually, let me back up. Let me back up one more. So, if you back up to verse, because um, this is actually maybe it's better. If you back up, uh, the the previous parable before this is a parable about the master and um, the uh, the servants, but we didn't read that one as part of our reading. But if you back up to verse thirteen, which is right. Right before this this part, Jesus says, No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And this is what this is the the saying that the Pharisees are responding to. And so they respond. So now we, we get the Pharisees, who were money lovers, heard all this and sneered at Jesus. He said to them You are the ones who justify yourselves before other people. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued by people is deeply offensive to God. Until John, there was only the law and the prophets. Since then, the good news of God's kingdom is preached, and everyone is urged to enter it. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for the smallest stroke of a pen in the law to drop out. Any man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and a man who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And then he begins this parable, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, and so on and so forth. So what is the point of this, of this parable? I think I have, I have lots of things actually to say about this parable. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is that in context, Jesus is talking about money and he's talking about the law and the prophets and the, the gospel that he's preaching. The good news of God's kingdom. Now the Pharisees were um, a group of devout Jewish folks and they were reading the law and the prophets, in other words, the the Hebrew scriptures that they had inherited as part of their tradition. And what they were getting out of them one of the, one of the things that they were getting out of them was this idea. And this can certainly be backed up if you if you look through the what we call the Old Testament, you can you can see this mentioned over and over that those who please God are, are made prosperous. Everything is made well for them. They're given money and, and, um, good lives and livestock and, uh, good fortune. And that those with bad fortune, uh, have their bad fortune because they are being punished by God because they are being, uh, because they are not living up to, to God's standard. And so the Pharisees saw this person in the story, not as perhaps the, um, kind of black and white uh, uh character that we may read into it from our modern perspective i mean when we read this story from modern perspective it's it's very obvious to us that perhaps that las that uh lazarus the the poor uh, beggar on the on the side of the road is um you know to be looked up to in this particular case because he goes uh, he's taken by angels to be by Abraham's side, whereas uh the rich man who is not even given a name in the parable uh is to be seen as the 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 bad guy in the story who who ends up being um in in uh the world of the dead being tortured and, and being in, in pain. But to the Pharisees and to Jesus's uh, audience in general, this wasn't necessarily true from reading the the old Testament. You can, you can take out an understanding, take out an understanding that the rich man, because he was rich uh, and in the, and in the parable, he's very rich having purple clothes, outer clothes um, and white Egyptian linen, inner clothes, both tell about his incredible wealth because uh, perfectly white clothes were very hard to come by and purple was very difficult a very difficult dye to produce and very expensive and he's having banquets and he has family that comes by and people that come by all the time to have banquets with him he has no no care in the world the pharisees and indeed perhaps many of jesus audience would have looked at this man and thought here is a man with god's favor here is a man who is doing well and that god is taking care of and they might have looked at lazarus full of sores and begging at the at the gate of the rich man for scraps of food, not even getting that, but you know, only the dogs licking his wounds. They might see him from their understanding as having done some horrible thing. Here is a person who who has done some horrible thing or perhaps is, is uh, his family has done some horrible thing in the past. And he is, you know, he is um, dealing with the consequences of that. And so now he is, he is sick. He is all this. And so that's the the point that Jesus is trying to make is that there is this reversal. That even though the the rich man may seem, because he's rich, to be in God's good graces, really he's not doing the thing that God wants him to do. He's not taking care of the poor. He's not sharing his wealth with those in need. And so he ends up in pain. After death, whereas the poor, the poor person uh, Lazarus ends up um, at, the, at Abraham's side, and so things haven't changed that much. And in fact, this this concept, this this argument about wealth versus poverty, about um, is it a sin to be wealthy? Is it is it bad to be wealthy? To have money is an argument that has been going on in the church ever since ever since the days of Jesus. I mean, as long as there's been a church, there has been discussion around this. And in fact, we find it again and again. We find it in, in the epistles. Um, we see in the epistle of James that James is, is telling uh, the early church. And again, the epistle of James is one of the earliest written texts in the New Testament. James is telling the church, you know, don't, don't bring in the rich people and give them good seats and then bring in the poor people and make them sit on the floor. Like, you know everyone should be equal in God's eyes. So this argument continues and continues, and we see it again. You know, in the early church, we see it again uh, in the Middle Ages. We, you know, we we see it when when Saint Francis is upset with the the relative um, ease with which uh, monks are living in in his days, and decides to to give away his earthly possessions and, and carry only, you know, as mentioned in in, um, in the New Testament, carry only, uh, you know, his sandals and a stick and, and his tunic and that's it. Um, we see this kind of cycle, the cycle of, okay, it's okay to have money. And then, and then the pendulum kind of swings the other way and everyone, says, oh, get rid of all your money. And certainly Jesus says this, you know, uh, when the rich man, a different rich man comes to join Jesus and and explains that, that he's, you know, uh, living as far as he can to the law. Jesus tells him, that's great. Go give all your possessions to the poor and come follow me. And the man can't do it. So he, he leaves. And in the fifties and sixties, when, when Clarence Mm -hmm. Jordan was in the South, the South of the, of the U S and was running his Quinonia farms, um, co-op I guess you might say a community when people would come he would he would tell them to go and get rid of their of their earthly possessions before they joined the group and the, importantly he wouldn't tell them give me your earthly possessions give me all your money and we'll put it in 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 um into you know common use by the group he didn't say that he said go and give your money to the poor and then come back and and the community will take care of you what I think is really important, just as Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, give your money to the church and come and follow me. He says, give your money to the poor and come and follow me. So this argument about the rich and the poor, and it's okay to have money whatever it's continuous. But what Jesus is saying here, and this, this is, I'm going to shift now into the second, the second point I want to make. What Jesus is, is saying here is not that it's bad to have money. And, and you can definitely get that from, from the reading especially in the reading before when he says you can't love both God and wealth, right? You cannot serve both God and wealth. wealth. And then he says um, that it's, you know, what's highly valued by people is deeply offensive to God. But it's not that you can't have wealth. It's not that you can't have money. It's that you can't serve wealth. You can't serve money. You must serve God. If you have money, but you're using it for the good of your fellow person, if you're giving to the poor and to the homeless, if you're if you're helping those in need, if you're doing your best to live a life of generosity and, and um, caring, then you needn't worry. And indeed, this is exactly what the rich man is not doing. The rich man is using the, his wealth on himself and on his friends, but he doesn't give even to Lazarus, and he you know Lazarus is is has been been kind of cast out at the gate hoping just just for the crumbs of bread from the rich man's table the rich man when he leaves his home he must pass right by him every day right and yet he doesn't ever give anything to this poor man this is the problem and Jesus was talking about this in the context of the Pharisees he was telling the Pharisees to see themselves in the rich man, the Pharisees were hoarding wealth. They were they were uh, doing things to be seen by the people. They they were doing things to be held above the regular people, and yet, and they were and they were saying that they were righteous and that they were um, holy, and yet they weren't doing the real core things that the law and the prophets taught them to do: take care of the poor, take care of the homeless. The needy, the widow, the orphan. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in the story, the rich man tell asks uh, asks Abraham to to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers. And Abraham says, "Well, they have the law and the prophets. They don't need Lazarus. They have the law and the prophets." And the rich man says, "Yes, yeah, but if but if someone was raised from the dead, then they would believe." And Abraham says, if they can't understand the law and the prophets, then they're not going to believe when someone's raised from the dead. And what he's saying, and this is also what Jesus is saying above when he says that it would be, you know, it would be harder for, for, uh, what do you say, it would be impossible for even one iota, for even one stroke of the pen to be removed from the law. He's not saying that the law as as it was understood by the Pharisees, for example, or or the religious leaders of his day, was correct. He was saying that their understanding of the law was incorrect. And he uses this passage about adultery to to prove that. There was a, a line in the um in the uh in Deuteronomy, I believe, where it says that, um, you know, if if you divorce somebody, you can you can give them a, a certificate of divorce, and then they can be remarried, and then if if that second husband dies or divorces them, the first husband cannot remarry the wife again because that will that will have be committing adultery or be bad or whatever and so it it lays out this situation because divorce was already commonplace in at the time of the book's writing it lays out the situation where it points at this one particular thing if, if you are married and you get divorced and your wife marries somebody else and then that person dies and then um, you remarry your first wife that is adultery. That was the way it was laid out, and Jesus is saying that is to miss the point of of the the law. That is to to, to live by the letter of the law without out seeing the point of the law. And Jesus says, really, anybody who who um, who marries a divorced person is committing adultery. And I don't want to get into the the argument about divorce here because um, I think that's a much longer discussion that deserves its own its own discussion. I think this in our modern day, this particular verse is problematic as this as an example here but i want to point out that what jesus is talking about even here is not specifically divorce he's he's using it as an example there are things written in the in the the old testament that are missing the point there you know living to the letter of the law is not the same as living to the the heart of the law to the meaning of the law and jesus is saying the problem with the pharisees is that they've missed the actual commandments. they've missed the actual meaning they're 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 overlooking the truth of what they're supposed to be doing and they're instead they're they're pointing out very specific legal loopholes and things to allow themselves to do things that are really against the idea that the the scriptures are trying to to get across and i mean how timeless is this message there are always people who are using religion as a way to have power over others instead of having power with others as a way to excuse their own greed, their own malice, their own hate. And Jesus was saying to do that misses the point of the scriptures. I think this is a concept that I always have a hard time with because to me the 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 old testament is is kind of difficult to read and there's a lot of problematic stuff in there a lot of difficult verses that we have to grapple with but what jesus is saying is that even in his day the people misunderstood what the real law and the prophets was was saying and we see this again and again we see this when when jesus is uh talking to the the person who is asking him what is you know what do you think is is the point of the law and the prophets? And he says, you know, just love God and love your neighbor, right? And that's that's it. That's that's the core, it's the same kind of concept. So that's really the message of this of this verse. The, the message of this verse is about living not living not to the the letter of the law, but to the intention of the law. Taking the text not as a completely literal. Um, text, but taking it in in its own context and in the context of the larger narrative of the entire story as a whole. This is what Jesus was doing, and this is why I also take this approach to biblical understanding. This is the same approach we see Jesus taking. So now let's turn to the third point I want to make about this verse, specifically about how it applies to universal salvation there are a lot of problematic difficult verses in the new testament even if we discard the old testament verses in the new testament there are many difficult verses around um, salvation and life after death and resurrection and uh, torment after death but of all of them, I think this is perhaps the most difficult, and the reason for that is that the text is very clear. The text is very simple. The text is not hiding in shades of meaning and metaphor. When we look at Revelation, when we look at um, other places, and we talk about the the wheat and the chaff and the and um, you know the fires, and we talk about the the lake of of fire and the outer darkness and all this we can we can get into lots of different subtleties and we can we can go around and about with with uh, theology <clears throat> but here jesus is the story that jesus tells is very simple and very clear because jesus is trying to make a point point. and so i would be remiss if i didn't talk about the implications for this story on universal salvation I think the first thing to realize is that this is a parable. It's not obvious necessarily that it is a parable. It's not, it's often not called the parable of in in English translations, for example. And it's made complicated because we have a name, we have Lazarus and Lazarus is a person that occurs in, that appears in other parts of the new Testament. Uh, Jesus has a friend named Lazarus who he raises from the dead. But, Lazarus is a fairly common name in Jesus' time. And it, it is the kind of diminutive form of Eliezer, which means God helps. And so in the context of the story, it makes perfect sense to be the name of the character because God is helping this person. Now, the reason I think this is a parable and not, for example, the telling of an actual event is because first of all it starts in the same way that the parables do there there once was a you know <laughs> it starts kind of in the in the way that that most are, there there was once was a certain rich man you know this is this kind of formulate formulaic beginning of parables secondly it comes in the middle of a bunch of parables that he's talking he's telling to the Pharisees um, and third the basic story was well known in the the time that jesus lived this idea of there being two people uh who were somehow related or you know and what and them both dying and going to the afterlife and then being treated differently Um, this basic storyline was well known and and is attested outside of the new testament obviously this version has jesus adapted for his audience for his for his um, you know jewish uh, devout jewish audience but it's you know, it, it would be like adjusting the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, or of some really commonly well known story, to match the 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 sermon that was being given. Certainly, this is something that I've done. Right, I talk I talk about my own personal stories, and I, I use them to to kind of um, relate to the story of the the sermon. So, the second thing I want to say is that in in, in the the King James version of the Bible the, the version of the Bible that was that was um, authorized by by King James of England that um, became kind of the standard text um, first written in, in the 17th century and then revised in the 18th century um, and now you know out of copyright and so often used uses here the word hell it says that it says that the, the Lazarus was, was taken up by the angels and the rich man died and went to hell but the original text doesn't say that, and certainly our translation today um, does a really good job of kind of getting at the idea of the original text when it says the, um, the land of the dead or the, the, the realm of the dead, because what the original text actually says in Greek is Hades. The, the word, is, the actual word is Hades, which was known to, um, to the Romans and the Greeks as the realm of the dead. Right, the realm of the dead. So, and and it's not maybe not completely obvious by the translation, but both the rich man and the poor man go to Hades. They both go to the realm of the dead. It's just that they're they're in different parts of it, and there's a, a chasm between them. So, I don't think the intention of this parable was to give us an, an idea of what the afterlife was like. And so I think that by using it to kind of say, well, but here it says that no one can cross over from one to the other, for example, um, is to misunderstand the purpose of the parable in its context. The purpose of it was to, to give a, a, a story that would be easy for Jesus's audience, the Pharisees to understand using a context and social ideas that were well-known and well-understood in his time, so that his actual message, which is about doing what is right by the intention of the law instead of the letter of the law, would land properly with his audience without being caught up in a bunch of other stuff that wasn't as important to the actual story. So I don't think that this parable is meant to tell us about the afterlife. And in fact, it contradicts other things. In other places in the in the book, uh, in the New Testament, if you're thinking of it as being about the afterlife, um, also, if you want to be really picky about it, you know, Abraham says no one no one can go between, but it's not Abraham uh, who we believe goes between, but but God and Jesus, who of course can do whatever they want, and so um, you know, there's not a there's not a gap between. Um, the good and the bad, if you will, that God can't cross. That just is not, that can't be, right? So I don't think that it's meant to be a literal description of of the afterlife. So what do we do with it? What do we do with the story as Christian universalists? Well, we need to take it for what it is and for what Jesus meant it to be in his context. It's about doing right by those around us and by those in need. It's about taking what you have however much it is, a little bit or a lot, and using it to make the world a better place instead of squandering it all in yourself. It's about generosity and caring for your fellow human being. It's not about the afterlife. It's not about that you can't have any money at all, that you must give all your money to the poor and, and live in poverty yourself. It's about being a good person. And it's about saying that this idea, this gospel that that Jesus brings is not all new information. This is continuing on from what we've been taught in the law and the prophets in the Old Testament that a correct understanding, a correct reading of the Old Testament again, a non-literal reading that Jesus had brings us to the understanding that connects, or brings us to an understanding, that connects the stories and lessons of the Old Testament with the stories and lessons of the New Testament. They were not separate things. They were not, you know, Jesus was not writing off the Old Testament and creating something new for a whole cloth. Jesus was instead continuing in the teaching and, and just refining them. He was saying, no, we've misunderstood the reading. He was picking parts from the Old Testament. That were true that that taught the true message and discarding those parts that were uh, that were not giving the the correct message and so that's what we need to do ourselves we need to think about how this uh, reflects our own biblical study how this reflects our understanding of wealth and of power we need to look for opportunities where we can help in our own communities and in the communities we serve and in the places we're called to do so, wherever those places are. This is what Jesus said the good news is about. It's not an idea that you hold on to in your mind and pray about and and then it gets you out of jail when 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 you die. It's about changing your life. It's about living a better life now and making the world a better place for as many people as possible. Being a Christian is an active thing. It is a way of of living, a difference in being in the world that you build up slowly over time as you study and reflect and pray. And Jesus is saying that what these Pharisees were doing, and again, what we see us today, what many "quote unquote" religious people are doing, is misinterpreting the scriptures interpreted them in a way that promotes their personal gain and gives them power over other people rather than interpreting them in a way that causes them to love and care for their neighbors at the and serve at their own expense. So with that, I hope that you'll go out this week and you'll maybe read over this chapter again. It's There's so much packed in here. Read over it again. Read it in multiple translations. Um, take a look at it in, in detail and ponder, how are you the rich man in this story? What are you doing in your life that this rich man was doing? And how can you be more generous, more caring? How can you live a life the way God intends you to? Amen. Amen.